to this week's lecture uh, on the Science and Cooking series. Uh, it's part of our course that we offer at Harvard, and this is the public lecture. Uh, we're very fortunate, and I like to acknowledge each time, we're fortunate to be sponsored by uh, several different sponsors, Jose Andres Think Food Group, Alicia, uh, which not only provides financial support, but also intellectual support, Montferrand, Whole Foods on River Street uh, lets us do the most important thing, which is they supply everything we need for the lab, and our students are very lucky because they get to eat the lab. <laughs> Fusion, Fusion Chef by Yulabo uh, provided the uh, control temperature baths that we use, and the Spank helped uh, support the uh, travel. I'd like to give a very, very special thanks to uh, Gabe Brenner of Salt's Restaurant. Gabe is actually here. He often comes to these lectures. And uh, he's very, very strongly supportive of uh, everything we do. And this, is, this week, we give him a really special thanks. Um, and finally, every week, we thank Christine Andujar, without whom we couldn't run this whole series. She takes care of everything that uh, goes on. Um, I want to also uh, tell you about the upcoming lectures. Uh, next week, we have Grant Akats from Alinea in Chicago, um, one of the really premier American chefs. And the following week, we have uh, Jose Andres, who is uh, Spanish by origin but works in the US, also an excellent chef. And I encourage you to come to both of these lectures. Uh, this week, we have a trio of uh, chefs. Carlos Tejedor, Fina Puigdeval, and Paraplana Guma. Uh, excuse me for not pronouncing them in the proper Catalonian accent. Um, I will introduce them to you uh, later, but uh, you have to suffer through uh, the science part of the uh, science and cooking first. So uh, this week we uh, did a lot of work in the, uh, in the class, and I want to choose some of it uh, both to present our equation. We were lucky this week. We actually have two equations of the week, so you get to cheer twice. Um, oh, we have to wait till we get there. Um, but we, I want to present something about uh, mouthfeel, about taste, and something about the science behind it. Um, so if you look at this uh, food, this cheese here, uh, it looks very good. It tastes very good. But in fact, there's more to uh, the taste, uh, to the way you uh, experience food than just the taste and the aroma. Uh, here's a little uh, Venn diagram to show some of the different types of uh, contributors to the sensor, sensory uh, uh, sensations that you have when you eat food. Uh, there's the taste and aroma, which you're, you're familiar with. But when you chew on food, when you let it pass through your mouth, there is also uh, the importance of the mouthfeel, how it feels to your mouth. And that's what we want to uh, discuss from a more scientific perspective today. I will say at the outset that the details of how you relate the kind of science that I'm going to tell you about to the actual mouthfeel are still an area of considerable research. Uh, nevertheless, I can tell you a lot about the science of uh, the initial, the basic science that you need to understand to uh, understand something about this. 
So you actually know, even if you look at just a, a series of different foods of the same class, here's a series of, uh, of cheeses, brie, uh, mato, which uh, we made in class, uh, parmesan, um, they all have very, very different textures. And what we want to uh, discuss today is how to characterize the texture from a more scientific perspective. Um, another example is a steak. These are steaks that are cooked by the sous vide uh, method that uh, we learned about from Joan Roca, for those of you who attended his lecture. Um, you can see that they have different colors and you know from if you experience eating uh, steak, they have different textures in your mouth depending on how much they're cooked. These are cooked uh, uniformly through the, uh, through the steak uh, using the sous vide method so you can see the different colors across the steak. That's not how they would look, for example, if you cut a piece off from something that you cooked on the grill. Um, similarly, if you think of tofu, you can buy tofus with various types of textures. And we want to try to learn how to characterize the difference of these, uh, the, the, the texture, how, it, uh, how, the, how one scientifically quantifies the behavior in a way that you can correlate with how it feels in your mouth. So the first thing we'll talk about is the elasticity of the, uh, of the food. The elasticity is what really gives it much of its texture, uh, the way you chew on things. And I do that by uh, trying to relate this to something to which I hope some of you are more familiar. If you imagine a spring of any sort and you squeeze on a spring, it takes a force to squeeze the spring. Similarly, it takes a force to pull the spring. There's always a force that you need to exert to change the length of the spring. In fact, the amount of force that you need is directly proportional to how far you change its length. The more you change the length, the greater the force. So for example, if we put a force on this spring by putting a weight on it, the weight will push the spring down, will compress the spring down, and at some point the spring will stop at a new length. Its uh, length will have changed by this amount, delta L, and at that point there is no force at any point anymore on the weight itself. The reason there's no force is that there are two forces that are exactly canceling each other. There's the force of gravity that's pulling the spring down, and there's the force that the spring exerts back on the weight to keep it exactly fixed in space. And if you calculate what that force of the spring is, you find that it's proportional to what we call the spring constant and the amount that we've displaced the spring. And from this we can calculate what the spring constant is. It's just the force divided by the change in length. And we put a minus sign there because the force is always pushing in a direction in the opposite direction that you're pulling this, uh, you're changing the length of the spring. If you're pulling it, the force is pu pulling it in. If you're pushing it, the force is pushing it out. So we put a minus sign. But we're going to ignore the minus sign because in the end we're just going to worry about the quantities themselves. But this quantity, the spring constant, 
is what you characterize a spring for. It is exactly the same always for a spring, no matter how much you deform the spring. The spring constant is the same. And if you look at different springs, the spring constant is what varies. And we're going to do the same thing, and we're going to try to calculate essentially what this spring constant is, the elasticity is, of a piece of food. So imagine a piece of tofu or a piece of steak something that is elastic, something that is a solid, that looks like this, we can do exactly the same thing as we can do with a spring. We can push down with a force, and that will cause the uh, food to deform, to squeeze in. If I take the force out, it jumps back up to the same position. So this force causes a displacement on the food. Now, when I put that force on, I push it down a certain amount, and then it stops. So again, the forces are balanced. The amount that I've pushed exactly balances the force that the food pushes up. And I'll use the same sort of balance of forces to calculate something about the material, something about the uh, food itself. So I'll try and do exactly the same thing. I would like to just do exactly what one does with a spring and calculate a spring constant, but there's a bit of a problem if you think about it. For example, if I take a piece of tofu and I cut it twice as big, so this is twice as big, if I push down on it, I actually have to push twice as hard. It's two times the area I have to push down twice as hard. That doesn't make sense because that just depends on how wide the food is. We want something that's intrinsic, that just tells us about the food itself. So instead of talking about a force, we talk about a force divided by an area or a stress. That takes away the dependence on how wide the food is. Similarly, if the food were very thin and we deformed it, it would be different than if it were very thick. So we don't talk about the absolute displacement, rather we talk about the relative displacement. That is, we divide the displacement by the thickness of the food. This is called the strain, it has the same characteristic, it just takes away any dependence on the detailed shape of the food. So we can do the same thing. We can think about a spring constant, but instead of thinking about a force and a displacement, we think rather about a stress, which is a force per unit area, and a strain, which is a displacement normalized by the initial size. And then we can do exactly what we did before. We can calculate the effective spring constant of the food, but now we take the ratio of the stress over the strain, and when we do this, we have a characteristic elasticity, an elastic constant of the food. And so we divide the stress by the strain, whoops, and that's our equation of the week. Now, with equations, it's always important to worry about the units, and the units of force divided by an area. That has units of a pressure, or pascals, and the units of an elastic modulus are pascals. Force is newtons, area is meters squared, and of course, length divided by length, the strain has no particular units. So we actually did experiments in class. I won't try to reproduce them, 
um, because we ate all the tofu, but we had some tofu and we measured the elastic constant of the tofu. Basically what we did was we took a weight and we put it on top of a plastic piece that just sat on top of the, of the tofu. We, me we measured the height of the tofu, we took a weight, a one kilogram weight, and we put it on top and we measured how much the tofu was deformed. So the weight is a kilogram, so to calculate the force we take the mass, a kilogram, and multiply it by the gravitational constant, 10 meters per second squared, we get a force of 10 newtons, and then we just plug these things into the equation. We had, we used an area of 16 centimeters squared, and we found that we had a, dis a, a strain of about 25%, or it deformed about five millimeters when the initial value was uh, 20 millimeters. And if you work this out, you find that the elastic constant is uh, 25 kilopascals, or 25 times 10 to the 3 pascals. That's the elasticity of tofu. And this is what makes things elastic. By measuring the elasticity of things, you get a sense of how much the food, what it takes, what force it takes to deform the food. For example, in class, we measured the elasticity of steak and then we cooked it and we showed that when you cook the steak, it gets more elastic, it gets stiffer, so the elasticity went up. As I recall, it went up by a factor of something like four. And that you feel when you eat, eat it in your, uh, in your mouth. Now you can understand this from a more microscopic view. Remember, the food is made up of this collection of uh, molecules, and I just represent them with these uh, circles. And what we're doing is we're just trying to deform the molecules, and we're asking what is the force that it takes to deform the molecules. We're literally doing something like this. And you can think of these things as having bonds between them. They're bonds between them, and each of the bonds now you're stretching. And so you can understand this from a very simple dimensional point of view. So the elastic constant, remember, is a force per unit area, a newtons per meter squared. This is length over length, has no units, so I don't have to worry about this. And then what I've done is I've multiplied both sides of this, the top and the bottom, I've multiplied by an extra length. I've multiplied by an extra length, both top and bottom. And the reason for doing that is that now I have force times distance, and force times distance is energy, and length squared times length, that's volume, so I have energy per unit volume. So really the elastic constant is an energy density. It's the energy per unit volume. And the reason for doing this is that if we go back and we think each of these things, each time I indicate something like this, I can draw it schematically, it's like a bond. It's really like a spring that I'm stretching. And so what this really tells me is that the origin of the elasticity is just the energy in the bond. Well, we've talked about that before. That's just you. And it's the density of these bonds. So the energy is an energy density. Now immediately I can use that to tell you why things feel differently. And I won't take something very simple like cooked and raw steak or uh, firm and, and soft tofu, but I'll take something really radically different. Um, I'll take something like, and now I'm just, I'm going to ignore the spring so you can see it. 
I'm taking something like cheese and a piece of metal. Why is it different? Well, it's an energy density. The energy of bonds in metal are about 300 times room temperature. They're covalent bonds. They're very, very strong bonds. The energy in cheese are just a few times room temperature. They're van der Waals or weak electrostatic bonds. So there's a difference. Notice the difference is a factor of 100. However, what's really different is the density. In the spacing in the bonds in a metal, it's atoms are very, very small molecules. So the spacing is more like a nanometer. And I cube that. goes as the energy density. Whereas the spacing in the cheese is, say, something like the order of the micelles, the casein micelles. That's how we did when we made cheese. And if you work this out, because of this huge difference in spacing, you see that the uh, elasticity of cheese is about 10 to the 5 pascals, 100, 100 kilopascals. Remember, we were measuring for tofu about 25. This is slightly high, but it's not an unreasonable estimate. Metal, by, on the other hand, is about a gigapascal. And guess what? When was the last time you tried to bite down on a piece of metal? It's pretty tough. In fact, it's tougher than your teeth. That's why you don't bite on it. So the reason, the importance of this is the reason that you can chew food is not so much that the bond energies are different. Yes, they're different, but at most they're different by about two orders of magnitude. But food is much softer than any hard material because the density of the relevant bonds is much lower. And that's the reason that you can chew food, and that's the reason that food, all food, has roughly the elasticity that it does. Okay, in addition, in addition to elasticity, you can have things that flow. So elasticity tells you how springy things are, but not everything are springy, some things flow. And for that, we talk about viscosity. And so the other thing we need to do is understand something about how to measure viscosity, even how to understand viscosity. And so here's just a little schematic. Remember before, if we applied a force, things would move a certain distance and then stop. But if you apply a force, if you apply a force to a fluid, it keeps flowing. And in fact, you can tell it's a fluid because if you look at each of these molecules in the fluid, they don't stay near their neighbors, but they can continue to move. They can continue to flow. And there's a very interesting demonstration of what viscosity does. Normally, you think that that mixes. But maybe, John, you could come and help us. We do a little demonstration. Can we uh, come in and look here? What we have here is a viscous fluid. It's um, glycerin. It's between two drums, two cylinders. So there's a thin layer of cylinders. Um, it's a fluid, it flows, and so we can rotate the inner cylinder. But if you look carefully, can we have the, um, yeah, good. If you look carefully, those of you in front should look at this, but those of you in back, if you look carefully, we're going to focus in on these two spots. Can you focus the, 
spot. We'd like to just focus these spots. Great. I want to get it really nicely focused because you're going to see what happens. So now, of course, we can mix everything. So what John is going to do is rotate the inner drum. Away you go. And we start mixing the spots. Oops, they're gone. Oh no, John, we've lost them. He's rotated. How many turns, John? One. Ah, let's do another one. Two. Three. How many are you going to do, John? Four? Four. Okay. I look at this, and there's a streak of blue where one of them are, but you can't see it anymore, right? John, have we lost it? What he's going to do is rotate it backwards. Those of you watching the TV, you can't see anything, right? Oh, I'm starting to see things now, John. Look at that. It comes right back. Well, not quite perfect, but pretty close. Pretty close. What happened? We have a fluid and we stirred it up. We mixed everything, but if you reverse it, it comes back almost to the way it was. Why is that? The reason is that this is a very viscous fluid. And in this case, you flow the molecules this way, but because it's so viscous, they don't move very rapidly, so they don't move in this direction. They won't flow. If you did this with water, you would never see this. But because it's such a viscous fluid, they don't flow. And when you unwind it, when you move it back, it comes exactly back to the same place. That only will happen with a very, very viscous fluid like this is. With another fluid, you get essentially motion in this direction, which washes everything out. So we can measure the viscosity, and John is going to help show how we do that. What we do is, again, use a balance of forces. And let's demonstrate this. Can we uh, zoom in on this? Again, we'd like to have the picture of this graduated cylinder. It's just going to be something that looks like this. This is taken from the sort of thing that we do in the lab, but we have just something that we demonstrate. It's this one here. No, don't want to sign it. Yeah, that's right. Good. So this is, this is a cylinder of a viscous fluid, and John has one of the balls that I told you never eat. It's a metal ball. And he's going to drop it in. And did you see the way it falls? Maybe there's another one you could do. Watch carefully. See the way it falls through that? What we're going to do is calculate the velocity that it falls, and from that, measure the viscosity. Thank you. So can I have my screen back? Thank you.
So what happens is he dropped it, and the same thing happens as if you were doing, you were jumping from a plane with a parachute where you were skydiving. If first, before you uh, actually let your parachute go, you reach what's called terminal velocity. And so what happens is the ball drops, and it falls, and we measure the terminal velocity by measuring the time it takes to fall a known distance. We get some kind of terminal velocity. We measure the velocity that the ball falls. And we can calculate that doing exactly what we did before by doing some kind of balance of forces. So imagine that the ball were following, falling through vacuum. Then the force on the ball would just be the force of gravity. It's the mass times uh, uh, the gravitational constant. And we can write the mass as the density times the volume. This is just the volume, this is the density, and this is gravity. But it's not falling through gravity, it's falling through a fluid. And so in that case, the force doesn't depend on the density of the ball, but rather the difference in density between the ball and the liquid. So we have to know the density of the ball, and we have to know the density of the uh, fluid. In our laboratory and class, we use chickpeas, and we measure their density. And I'll tell you their density is roughly about 20% larger than the density of water. So we measure the density, we take the difference of the density, but we calculate the gravitational force downward on the ball. At the same time, there's a drag force due to the viscosity of the fluid. And this is the force that we're trying to measure, uh, the force of the, um, of, the, uh, of the viscous force of the fluid. And that force is a constant, 6 pi, times the viscosity of the fluid, which I write as eta, times the radius of the ball times the velocity. And since this is the terminal velocity, it's a constant. So this is the force upwards on the ball. And you know this force very well. You know it if you ever try to walk through water. You know that if you walk through water, it takes a certain force, but if you try to run through water, that is, you increase your velocity, the force gets much larger. It takes a lot more effort to run through water than it does to walk through water. And then we just take the, uh, so this is uh, showing what this is. These are the units. Viscosity, by the way, has units of a pressure times a time, Pascal seconds. And so what we do is we just equate the drag force in this direction with the gravitational force in this direction. So here's the drag force, here's the gravitational force, and I divide both sides by 6 pi r times the terminal velocity to isolate the viscosity. So this lets me solve for the viscosity, and that gives me the second equation of the week. So this is a way to measure how viscous a fluid is just by measuring the time it takes to drop something through the fluid. And that's the way we measure the things in the lab. In actual fact, foods and other kinds of materials have an enormous variation of viscosity. Liquid nitrogen, which we solidified by pumping 
the other week, has a very low viscosity. Water has a viscosity of one in units of millipascal seconds, 10 to the minus three pascal seconds. And these are increasing viscosities. You see olive oil has about 100. Uh, it's about 100 times as viscous as water. Honey is several thousand times as viscous as water. And something like dough is actually fluid-like. You think maybe it's solid-like, but you know if you take dough and you put it on the table, it slowly flows. And the reason it flows so slowly is it's very viscous. And so one thing we'll do in class is understand a lot about the differences in viscosity. Of course, the differences in viscosity have a great effect on how a fluid feels in your mouth. So finally, there's uh, more sophisticated ways of looking at things. I'll just give you a bit of a schematic of how to think about these things. Uh, you know when you eat something that first you bite down and you squeeze on them, and so they deform, but eventually you know that you can actually chew through them, and if you put an increased force on, they actually will break. And we can understand that, that after you strain them a certain amount or you deform them a certain amount and you increase the force, then they just break apart. That's what happens when you chew. We um, typically think of this more in terms of a yield stress and a yield strain after which they break apart. And that's why you can chew things and break them into smaller pieces. Similarly, other things you can deform you can deform a certain amount, but when you try to let go, when you take the force off, they come back, but they don't come back all the way. And many materials are like this, and we call those plastic. They move and they go a certain amount, but then they don't completely return. But it's this combination of different ways of characterizing the food, characterizing the elastic properties, the viscous properties, whether it uh, breaks, whether it yields, whether it's plastic, this is what really allows us to quantify scientifically what goes behind uh, mouthfeel. So mouthfeel has a combination of all of these, and um, in particular, uh, the, wh whether you chew something, uh, how you chew it, the texture you have, whether the fluid flows over your mouth, how viscous it is will tell you how it flows, how long the aroma may last, things like that. All of these things conspire to give you uh, the mouthfeel. Okay, um, with that, let me stop and now go on to what we've really been waiting for. Um, Carlos Tejedor, Fina Pujdival, Para Panaguma, Sorry for my bad pronunciation, but let me introduce all of them. We're very fortunate that they're visiting us uh, from uh, Barcelona, and please. Hola, bona tarda. Soc Fina Puigdevall i vinc del restaurant Los Cols Olot. Good evening, I'm Fina Puigdevall and I come from Los Cols restaurant in Olot. El restaurant Los Cols està ubicat en un mas que és el que li dona el nom, que és el mas Los Cols. 
that the, the, the restaurant Las Calls is in a peasant country house that has the name Las Calls. It's a house, it's a peasant house from the 15th century and I was born there. That uh, a while ago it had like a like a very important renovation by a local firm, an architect firm called RCR in Olot, and uh, they beautify very much the place. I, I came with uh, Pirag Planaguma, which is the head uh, chef at uh, Las Calls, restaurant Las Calls. And he's the one that will uh, talk about viscosity. That once we were invited here at Harvard, we were thinking who would be the best person to tell our story, to tell the story of our restaurant. She's a regular customer at the restaurant. Friend of mine and the filmmaker. Al final de la projecció surten 30, el nom de 23 persones. Són les persones que fan possible el somni de les cols i a les que jo els hi vull agrair. That at the end of the video you'll see the name of 23 people. Those are the people that make possible the restaurant and our dream. And I'm very grateful to all of them. Desitjo que els hi agradi. I hope that you like it. És tot. And that's it. Descentem per això. Concealed lines of sleeping volcanoes. Moss. Reflections in the waters of a miraculous fountain. Velvety light that caresses to the tips of your fingers. The tenderness of eating in a place where everything you eat is tender. A chef. Fina Puigdevall, who speaks to apples. Perhaps because her grandmother went to school with Salvador Dalí. Or maybe just because she likes speaking to apples. And she knows that they answer her back. Explain the unexplainable. Explain a valley. Explain the shadow of a tree. Explain things who cannot be explained with words. Things you have to feel. Things who go to your stomach through your emotions. Explain La Garrocha.
explain viscosity when all that we want to do is submerge ourselves in it. Explain they has been classified as one of the most beautiful restaurants in the world. Explain the magic of Las Colles to those who don't know it. Sometimes it's like explaining the desert to a sailor, or the sea to a berber, or black holes in the universe to a wild rabbit. The first time that I went to Las Colles, Las Colles means cabbages in Catalan. There was a pile of cabbages on display in the entrance. There were none today. Not even plates on the golden table. But the food that appears on the dish you serve with the most attentive and warm service in the world is miraculous, time and again. Being the most simple and at the same time the most complex, less decorative, more essential, more subtle, less dramatic. It is the distillations of landscapes, sensations, emotions, and a passion to achieve the essence of things. And these things are truly delicious. What can I say? In a world where we don't even know for certain that we'll be paying in the same kind of money as tomorrow, it is consoling to know that places like Las Colles and chefs like Fina Puzzaval still exist. Okay, thank you. Let's gonna start with a with a demonstration. Uh, first of all, uh, we would like to especially thank the Harvard University to to invite us, and it's, a, it's an honor for us to to stay here with you and uh, to share some some knowledge and some to speak with uh, from, uh, uh, to speak uh, about viscosity and thickeners, exploring the the mouth the mouth feelings. Let's gonna start with. Uh, with an elaboration, is is an aperitif in the restaurant, is is an ancient recipe with a wet black flour. Uh, sometimes uh, that that uh, that flowers give us some uh, some viscosity when we we prepare the, the recipe. Uh, a few years ago, we we prepared. Uh, a gelatin with a with a mold, and then we cut it in slices. We change uh, that recipe, and we will go now to to start that appetizer. We will bring some some water to boil. Then we we just we just add some 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 flour there, and now we will get. A, vis a viscosity texture. Viscosity is always uh, is always present on 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 our region. We come from a region, a volcanic region, the most uh, the most important 
volcanic region in the south of Europe, and always we we have the, the presence of the of the lava. We have some some rivers. Uh, the viscosity is 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 always pre is always present. I'll tell you that uh, a few years ago we prepared that soup eh, when uh, in Spain in the 1936 when uh, we finished the, the civil war, we had uh, our grandfather, we had uh, some problems, some economic problems, and we had uh, not too many things to eat. Then we prepared uh, that soup. It's not a cereal, it's, it's a plan. We have two, we collect two times a year, the plant. We collect the fruit of this plant twice a year. Is is for that reason that we plan that uh, that plan. We have a small grain, a black grain. We we ground the grain with with big stones, and we have that that flour. We leave it cook just five minutes. The recipe is about uh, is about uh, 250 grams of that flour per one per one liter. Now is already and we get that past okay we just put in a seal pad that recipe is, is what you see before on the on the video is a crispy aperitif and we just leave it cook into the oven during 20 minutes, uh, 150 degrees Celsius. Okay, here I have one. Already cooked. And now we have the, the first aperitif in the restaurant. From viscosity, we have the, the crispy, the crispness. And it's an aperitif to share. Uh, we consider that it's, it's very important to have that moment to, to share the, the aperitif. And we, we broken. And you can hear the, the crispness and the, the fragility of, the, of that elaboration. Okay, that will be the, the first one. The second one we have uh, is on the, on the same way. We have uh, some cereals on, on the region. Also, uh, this is corn flour. We prepare also a soup called farro in Catalan. It's a hot soup uh, in winter. In winter, our region is, is also very cold. I think like here in, in Boston area. And we had uh, that heavy soup with some pork inside. And now what we want to do is, uh, is, a sort of, is a sort of polenta. It's not, it's not the same. And we, we just have uh, here the water. It's the same procedure that on the, on the crust uh, of wheat flour. We add 
want to bring, finally, some more flavor, some more corn flavor on that sandwich. We have also cornbread. American cornbread is, is very nice, really good. But in, in Catalonia, we do with, with cornbread. Now we have the, the crispy texture. Gelatinous one. It seems when you, when you eat it, that you are eating uh, some uh, sweet ham, you know, pork sweet ham. And finally, we put some ground corn kernels. And that is the, the, second, the second aperitif. And now uh, we would like to, to show you some techniques. Now we, we saw two cereals, how we from viscosity, we, we have uh, some nice textures. Sometimes uh, they are uh, gelatinous, sometimes crispy, but they all come from viscosity. Now we are cooking uh, some pears into, into uh, in our miver. Water, sugar, vanilla, sorry? Syrup, sorry, syrup. Uh, vanilla, orange zest, and also sugar. Uh, what we want to do with this is a, is a garnish, a garnish of a, of a roast of a roast duck. Always with the with viscous elaborations, uh, we would like uh, that they feel uh, brilliant. Always we, we are looking the 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 visual effects too. And uh, it's for that reason that uh, in the end of the elaboration, we will add some Shantana powder to the, to the liquid. We have the, the beers with the, with the vanilla. That is, a, mm, that is called a, a maybe a, a sweet and sour flavor in, in Catalonia. Is, is that with, with beer, Anna Camperas? That is a, a really traditional... Yeah, duck with pears is a, a really traditional elaboration. Now we have here the, the liquid with the with vanilla. The next one, please. And what we're going to do is add some, uh, some Shantana powder. We blend it with a hand blender. We put uh, two, grams, two grams per liter of a uh, of, uh, liquid. And we want to look for is that we, we are looking for the bubbles, we are looking for the, for the brilliance. Always is a, is a circle, is pier with pier. There are so many textures of piers. Now you can see the, the viscosity of the, of the sauce is a, is a beer sauce. Now we want to torch the duck. <laughs> we start with a, with a, with a recipe, the ancient recipe. We profit all the parts of the, of the duck. Yeah, we use all the parts of the duck. 
Yeah, which was the neck, the, the wings, the breast, the feet. Each part will give his flavor, especially the wings, uh, the, the articulations. They give uh, gelatin. We, what, the, what we're looking for is a, is a brown, a brown color, a brown sauce, a dark sauce. It's a, an, ancient, an ancient flavor, all that we have, but uh, in, a, in a different way. Here we have the bones, the geyser, the liver, the breasts, the heart, the legs, the feet, the neck. Now in a, in a big casserole, we put some olive, some extra virgin olive oil, some garlic, the legs, the neck, all the parts of the duck, and we wanna, we wanna roast them. It's called in Catalan a, a rustit, and when, when we cook into a casserole for a long, long time, we call rustit, and we wanna have the, the extract of the all of parts of the duck. In English, the word would be roast duck. We add some thyme, some rosemary. One hour later, it has become more brown. We can not smell it, but it has a, a very nice smell. One hour more into a casserole. And finally, we, we add some uh, muscat sweet wine wine. It's a, it's a wine from the northeast of Spain, from, from El Ampurda. Now we are collecting the, the grapes. And also sometimes it's a garnish of that, of that duck. We cook the grapes into the, the muscat wine. Now we want to prepare another, another garnish with kuzu. We start with, uh, with some cereals, some, some cereals of, of our region. Now we want to use a, a kuzu a Japanese thickener. It's a really interesting thickener because uh, with that we can get some different ways of, vis of viscosity. Sometimes the, the temperature makes, uh, makes conditions on that viscosity. The same elaboration with temperature or in a, in a cold way, we have two different elaborations. Now we add some kuzu into some muscat sweet wine. Normally thickeners, we cannot dissolve into alcohols, but with kuzu that is possible. Now we wanna hit some, some muscat wine. And then we will we will add the the kuzu.
we can add it when the liquid is hot, not when the liquid boils. I don't know why, but it, it doesn't run. It doesn't work, sorry. Now it's opaque, it's, uh, it's nearly white, but when it starts to cook, it becomes, how uh, would in color? In color, transparent, cool. transparent. Transparent in yeah, color, yeah. It becomes transparent. With, with no color. Then when we have that sauce, that uh, muscat sauce, we add the muscat grapes. It's always uh, a marriage. Muscat wine, muscat grapes, grapes. They have uh, the same flavor, and that, that's very interesting. And we make uh, a sort of sultanas. We cook it during uh, 10 minutes. Before they, they were green, with the coction, they, they become, they, they have a, a yellow color. They, they absorb some, some muscat wine. Now they are already cooked. Variati variating the, the quantity of kuthu, we can get different types of viscosity. We can have uh, sausages, sauces, we can have soup, creams, we can add it to, uh, to fruit puree, to liquids, to water, to stocks, fish stocks, meat stocks. That is what, what we have. It's like an esferification, a natural esferification. When you when you put into your mouth, you have a small explosion of flavors. Anyone? When we leave it, we serve it hot, but uh, I would like to show you when, if we leave it cold, you have another texture, a gelatin, a viscous gelatin, and uh, that textures, uh, they, they are always related with las coles. And with our and with our way to cook, we like to to cook with a, with one product. Maybe we we in contest the fashi productes and trayem the productes. Instead of adding products, we take them out. We subtract. And we we like to to respect the the product. You can see is a is a bit of of jelly. Now we we want to do another. Another texture, another viscous texture with, uh, with some pear nectar, also with kuthu. We heat it. It's the same procedure uh, with the uh, muscat grapes you, you saw before. It's the, the nectar pear. Then we add the, the kuthu. Now it's dissolved in, into water. And we heat it. Now it's, it's opaque, it's, it's nearly white. When it, uh, it starts to boil, it becomes transparent. We have to, to move the pan. It works al always with uh, when we have to do a, a, a coction. It's not possible with, uh, with fresh elaboration. Always we have to cook. 
the next one. Now you you can see if you if you don't move, you can see the the elaboration from the the bottom of the pan, and when you you move, you you get a, a viscosity texture of beer, a hot viscosity. Next one. Now we place it into. And we put into the we we put some some plastic foil on the top, and we leave it into the fridge during six hours. Now we want to do another one. Variating the the quantity of kuthu, we get different types of viscosities. We hit that one, and that one uh, have a, a really really small portion. It's just a, a pure puree. We, we will bring it to boil. We add the kuthu. We get the, the opaque color. When it's cold, we have uh, we got a, a pier terrine. It's an, an elastic terrine in a cold way. It's like a, a pad of fluid texture. Now we're going uh, we're gonna cut into cubes. This is cocoa, cocoa cookies. This is another garnish. Normally in Catalonia, you, you used to, to put some chocolate on, on our meat stews. This is the, the duck in our way. The duck you saw before, we, we left the, the bones. We make a, a terrine with with a bit of agar agar, and we put it into some some foie gras. We have the the kuthu cubes, pier cubes. Then we have the the pier, the cooked piers with the with the almiver, the vanilla almiver, with uh, with chantana powder. Then we have the the pier compote, and here the sauce, the brown sauce that is. Uh, Sauces in, in Catalonia normally must be brown. <laughs> they have to be brown. We, we have here the, the pier compote with kuthu. It's just variating the, the quantity of kuthu. We have different elaboration. It's a cold one. We have the pier pieces with a with the Shantana Almibar. Always looking for the, the elasticity, the, the viscosity, the mouth feeling. We have cold, we have hot, we have different feelings into, into our mouth. And now the, the pier cubes we're gonna hit into the 
into the, the dark source. We leave it cook. Well, more than cook is a heat. We reheat the warm up, warm up. Warm up, sorry. Warm up the the PR cubes into the into the dark source. We can boil it. We, we conserve the, the structure. That is, is very, very interesting. And optically, we see a, a cube that we, we think is, uh, is hard into our mouth, but is really, really soft. Now we are, how do you say it? We are making some, uh, a joke. Cheating, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, Sometimes, uh, like misguiding you. Yeah. Misguiding you. And into into your mouth is is really really soft. And always we are into the into a duck recipe, with Pierre, the ancient recipe, but with a contemporary in a contemporary way. Now we have the duck, the pier, the pier cubes, the pier with Kuthu, the Chantana pier. And now with the sauce, the duck, the sauce, the, the beer, the, the compote, hot, cold, the cocoa cookies, also looking the, the viscosity and the, and the elasticity, who always is present on, on our kitchen. The brilliance. It's like an actor, it always has to be nice. It looks pretty and, and good into our mouth. The fluidity, the sources when, when one is mixing with, with the other one. Okay, and that's all. <laughs> serve you the some some grapes cooked into the the PR the PR nectar with kuthu the viscosity grapes first that one and when I see you that yeah that one first and that one is second okay no, yo voy a No, it doesn't work.
pasando por radio? No, Ho faré després. Després, al final. Sí. A mi imatge també? Vaig a... Què, començo o què? Començo? Com tu vulguis, dona-li un que ens tagui, eh? Aquesta tarda? Ui, 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 ja se m'asseca. Ok. First, I want to say thank you, because it's my first time in Harvard, so I'm very happy to stay again in Harvard. I hope so the next year I come back again. Uh, that, that year, I want to speak about the viscosity, yeah? But how you feeling the viscosity? The five senses you need for understand the viscosity, yeah? Uh, that video I show you now, just is four minutes, is for introduce when you're feeling always in the viscosity in your, in your hands, in your eyes, in your air. Because it's, I think it's very important because sometimes lose someone and it's very important to the balance all that ones for make the best viscosity when you eat it, yeah? So you can start, please.
that glass, please don't open because I want to explain some things. Yeah. Always the viscosity of is uh, perceived. Uh, for me, that is was, was one of the questions I have through when it's coming here. And uh, I think so, if you touch that cream is in the top to the glass, you can eat if you want, but I think so it's better. You put that one in your mouth, uh, in, your, in your hands, clean your hands with that cream, and you smell of that one, because it's pure olive oil, because that olive oil is a magic one. And uh, that one is the started to beginning to uh, viscosity in your hands. So when it started to warm in your hands, explode all the flavors, all the viscosity in your hands, but in a few minutes, go away, yeah? So that one is introducing to the viscosity because the temperature is very important about the viscosity. Because now I want to show you the first one. Una mica de gel. That is a warm one with in ice. And it's the cream you you touch now. Yes, it changes about the viscosity and the colder when it's more hot, yeah. Just temperature. Yeah. 
and that one, just put in your hands, you start to a viscosity, and you're feeling, smell olive oil. That olive oil is 3,000 years old, older, you know, and I think so, the perception in your mouth is, is amazing, yeah? Okay, now Phil, I need to close your eyes, yeah? And I smell what I had inside of that glass, yeah? Just touch the glass, and you're feeling, and you smell that magic flavor you can find inside to the, to the glass. With the eyes closed, put the, eyes, uh, put the, 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 the glass inside your mouth, and you try that one. Yeah? It's no liquid, you see? That's one, is between to the gelatin and viscosity. So it's, not visco it's, it's a viscosity, but it's not gelatin because it's leaving about go away. So it's very soft. So now you see your air, you smell, you touch, you feeling about everything about the viscosity, yeah? And that thing I think is very important because an ass restaurant, that glass you have today is for try the olive oil. It's a special for try the olive oil. For why? That one is all your hand. When you put that one in your hand, the viscosity of the, the olive oil is less, but the flavor is, is too higher. So for this one is that glass, it is for you. You don't need to come back, eh? <laughs> okay. So that one is very Im impressive because in, in, in a Via Veneto restaurant, the sommelier is very important person because all the flavors to the wines is very important. Why not to the, that one? Because the olive oil is very important as well for the air, for everything, yeah? So that glass is for try in your house, wherever you want it to the olive oil. But, you know, the flavor for me is, is really amazing. For that one, is, uh, is uh, that glass. The greenness lies in simplicity, because sometimes we need to look in for a big projects, a big challenger, uh, and is sometimes you have a, a small, a small product in your in front of you, and it's more bigger than another one. So I think so. The greatness lies to uh, to simplicity. Yeah, I show you now the that gelatin. How you can you make that one? That one is sugar, water, isomal. Need to boil that. How are you feeling in your hands? Viscosity, is it?
I use that technique for make uh, some mayonnaise without eggs because I can use as well that fat. It's like a butter, but with olive oil. So in Spain, you use a lot of olive oil because the olive oil is very healthy, yeah? And it's very important. As a restaurant, you use, and a lot of restaurants use olive oil. Now, I use that olive oil and poach. some gelatin. I'll show you now because I put in tray. It's very important to the temperature. And that gelatin. gelatin inside the, the glass, okay. The second video. The second video, I want to s please say thank you to uh, Via Veneto because uh, he gave me the possibility to come here again. And I show you as restaurant in Barcelona. traditional restaurant that you use a lot of techniques of that they show you today.
I don't bring ham, eh? It's a viscosity, I think so. <laughs> I want to say thank you to Via Veneto for that one. And, and to conclude it, and it is not too less important than everything I've explained to so far, uh, to permission to University of Harvard and our organization, open please your mobile phone. Yeah, you can do it. I asked before. And using all the clues you have been given, uh, the find solution and a diff discourse, yeah? So you need to find something in your hands for a find, I don't know why. You check, I don't know, that one, yeah? You check it in your phone if you have some code uh, QR, QR? QR, and you try that, yeah? Because the last year, when I have a sensation in complaining, seeing that everyone in Harvard have a lab, yeah? <laughs> and I want to make a lab. And I make a lab, i show you that, is that? Don't have a lab. <laughs> so it was amazing because the last year when I've been here, he showed me, that one is my lab, that one is my lab. I say, oh my goodness, I don't have a lab. <laughs> <laughs> I need a lab now, yeah. And we make a lab for everybody. And it's, yeah, okay. Hey, be careful, eh? <laughs> okay, that, that one is a, a little block when you use. That one is an equation to the weak. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and you can write whatever you want about the olive oil, yeah? The next one is a comic, but maybe... It's working? Is a is a delicate lab. Yeah, no, no, no. Okay, it's like running a lab. It's a it's a history of uh, that magnificent olive oil. It's a poach. Yeah, 
It's a, a small comic about the history. It's a chimo. It's a artificer of that one. Me? I don't know why. <laughs> so you're exploring some things because it's like a lab, you know, here always in the lab, so you're exploring some things. I don't know what happened, but exploding. I make another olive oil and come back the olive oil to a chimo because give me that magic of olive oil, yeah. And then I made that one. Three of difference. You can write it of that. The viscosity is wells. Yeah? Difference. Yeah? And you can clean with a cloth. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> that one is great as well. Okay. It's a caviar <laughs> of olive oil. Okay, and you're gonna explore it if you want it. <laughs> it's a laugh, is it? Oh, it's my laugh. So you can play. Sure, playing better, my daughter, you know. <laughs> that one I show you later because I show you with my phone. That one is before I speak about the density, uh, the, about the viscosity of the temperature. Yeah. If I do the same pen, I put inside it, yeah. 18 degrees go up, three go less, and 52 go down, you know? So I can put everything inside it, I fuck right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a joking, you know, but it's a, it's a lab because I know about that viscosity, uh, different temperatures, that, that is a beginning of a, a new project I have on, in the multimedia. And the last one is a powder, yeah? The powder with the iPad, it doesn't work. It just work like that, you know, see? <laughs> but I can see that, that TV, yeah? Because I have this well in my lab as well here. <laughs> you can see that? Yeah, here? So because in my lab I want to, um, I, I try everything, you know, so. So when, when you have everything, thank you. When you have everything, in the end, you touch Carlos, yeah? And you have the recipe you try today. Okay, so thank you very much to everyone of here. Chimo, my family, Via Veneto, an organization, Cool the Sack. Imagina is a good one, and thank you so much. So, Carlos, can I come and work in your lab? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's, really only easy, it's really easy, but, you know. <laughs> the only person I know who can carry his lab around with them. <laughs> They'll okay, put us all so out of business. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we have some time for some questions. For either Carlos or um, uh, Fina or... Sorry, just one question. Oh, sorry. Where, where is the tickets? In the tickets there are... Uh, where, Gomez stickers? Yeah? Here.
And another one, the tickets ones, the entrance ones. Oh, the entrance tickets. Because you do, at least. In some of the entrance tickets, you can find a sticker. If you have, if you have a sticker, it means that uh, Carlos just um, give you a present of a book of, uh, of Via Veneto. You can find it outside. Christina at the, the book. And I, I, I suspect he'll be signing them after the questions. So are there any questions for any of the chefs? Where's the other, uh, other microphone? <laughs> Go ahead. How, how long did that uh, that duck dish take? How long does the duck dish take to prepare? S speak up a bit. How long does the duck dish take to prepare? About three hours cooking into the casserole. Who's, who has a question? We cannot see you. Well, it, it Put your hand up, the person who asked the question. We couldn't see you. It oh. depends. It, sorry, it depends on the of, of the size of the duck. If uh, it's a two kilo, or two kilos and a half, or three kilos. <coughs> Say it again. I was interested in a, a cool. Kuzu, yeah. Yeah, um, the comparison with that compared to cornstarch, and do you use it in the same type of way, like making a slurry with a cold liquid first? The main difference is when uh, you finish the, the recipe with kuzu and you want to reheat or, or rewarm with kuzu, it, uh, structure. You, you, you keep the same structure. The same structure, but into the mold, you have uh, a nice uh, sense of viscosity. It's very soft. And is there a flavor to it, or yeah, no? It's sabor, no, no the, just uh, just a bit, but not. Uh, okay. imperceptible, practically. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hi. Uh, thank you for coming. Um, uh, it's, it's obvious that there's a lot of expertise here in, in managing the material properties. And I was, I was wondering if there's, maybe, maybe in your book, um, if there's a sort of body of work on food from the, the, this material sense standpoint, the solid mechanics and the fluid mechanics of food. Um, that was touched on at the very beginning of the, the presentation. Is there, is there, is this something that's been sort of well studied? There's a. It has been. Yes. Like a, is there, is there like a body of work that, that we should look to if we're more interested in? The science of the mechanics is the mechanics of soft materials, and that's well understood and well studied. The relationship to mouthfeel is still something that's elusive that people are trying to study. The application of this kind of science to food is again something there are uh, textbooks on the serious science of that. 
So yeah, it's quite well studied. Okay, thank you. Hi, thank you. I'm not familiar with the flower, the black flower that you made the very first appetizer with. It grows on a tree. The, the, the word was buckwheat flour. Bug, buckwheat. Buckwheat. Sorry about that, buckwheat. Yeah, not black flour, but buckwheat. Uh, the olive oil hand cream that we had, what was it thickened with? Sorry about that. The olive oil cream that we had on top, what was it thickened with? Ah, glycerin. 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 Are there any thickeners that dissolve in oil, in olive oil? Thickeners. But how did you make this? Yeah, but I use here just a little of water. Because normally, the, the olive oil is, is the, the viscosity more difficult for make another viscosity. So you need to find something, just no maybe a gelatin or agar agar or something like that. Because if you put agar agar, you make emulsion. And I want to make emulsion. I want to make a, like a encapsulated. So I use as well yota. You know yota? Yota. 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 Carrageena. Carrageena. I use for make a soup as well. I use uh, glycerin. I use just for olive oil. That will be that's, you know, more. And he has these amazing ways of mixing thickeners with water, then mixing them yeah. with oil without emulsifying it to thicken the oil. That's something he studies in his lab. <laughs> I am, I'm sorry, I'm getting the microphone all greasy. Um, <laughs> I, was, I noticed that you were saying that the sauces in Barcelona all have to be brown and that you don't, I've noticed you didn't use a lot of butter. Is that to differentiate uh, Spanish cooking from French cooking? Catalan. 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 Pour fait d'utiliser mantega. Non, non, non. Pour fait que non utiliser mantega. Is one of, of the things. There are, there are too many things. But, but it's, it's, it's just one. Yeah. We, we have olive oil uh, from when we were a child. In our houses, we we eat olive oil. It's oil oil culture is always present in restaurant in our houses. Yeah. We have olive trees, and uh, the the brown sauces is a, is about meat sauces tra and traditional meat sauces yeah, to to have uh, the brown color uh, and it con this it suggests your brain that the, the sauce will be good if it's brown. <laughs> Thank you, Salud. And the healthy as well. Any other questions? Uh, this is something that, I've, that I wanted to ask two weeks ago as well, but didn't get a chance to. But um, 
I'm always curious, so if you're doing, if you're using new tech, tech, technologies and new processes and new thickeners and, and things like that, you're, how you feel that relates back to traditional Catalan cooking? And for instance, talking about like mouthfeel and all that, you're specifically thinking about what the mouthfeel is when you put it on the table, right? That you, you're thinking about what's going to go on. I think so. And do you, do you yep. think, sorry, 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 yeah. Do you think that the uh, like original recipes, the traditional recipes, were also taking that into consideration? Yeah. That you know, yeah. talking about different temperatures, different yeah. textures, example, or uh, how does that relate? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. The more important is is the taste it, yeah, uh, the taste it, the flavors, yeah, because I think so. The technique, if the technique help the plate is better, you use it that one. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to use that technique, or it's not the same or the best, and as restaurant, I show and his restaurant as well, don't use it, the techniques. So the technique is always helping. That plate is more attractive, but the flavor is better than, than the other one. I think so, for me. Yeah, and, and, and I think that w w we have to, to compare, because not always the traditional was yeah. good. We have to, to keep the good things and translate to our kitchen. But uh, always, uh, I think, is uh, respecting uh, what we, our, como se dice, our records. Our memories. Our memories, our food memories, because it's, uh, it's like a, a travel in life when we cook. <coughs> and there are too many things that we think to put into a plate. And one is the, the taste, the, the flavors, and the mouth feeling, of course. Mouth feeling. Okay. Oh, one more. Um, I was wondering, in terms of where you purchase uh, these thickeners, are there certain impurities that you might want to have in uh, the thickener versus something you might get from Fisher? It's totally pure. Um, that's not. That's missing that maybe impurity that that might be good. I don't. I don't know. Well, food. <laughs> Obviously, all, all the products, they, uh, we, we want to, to buy the, the vegetables. The veg uh, in our restaurant, we farm yeah we have a we have a garden a vegetable garden is, is we collect is our vegetables. we pick our vegetables an obligation for the that for uh, cook is a must always the the best the best the best Sí, perquè, sí, com, més, com més pur sigui l'espassant, també el resultat més bo serà.
Um, so I just looked at your olive oil gummy recipe, and I noticed you use isomalt instead of regular sugar in it. I was wondering if I could use sugar or why you chose to use isomalt. The, the olive oil gummy recipe. L'acidez. L'acidez de l'olive oil, I think so, és too much for sugar. So it's better you use the isomal, but just with a less quantity, you can use that one as well. Thank you. Okay, well, let's thank all of the chefs one more time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's great.